Good morning, everyone. 
Uh, a member recently told me that when Mr. Deasing or I are up here, as opposed to Pastor Canode, we should explain that. So my name is Greg Eddings. I'm one of the elders here at Providence Presbyterian Church. I'm not the pastor, and that's a good thing for you. Uh, we have several announcements, actually quite a number of announcements today. Uh, one of the first ones is that uh, we are transitioning to a new treasurer. I think most of you know that Mr. Engelbrecht was the treasurer in the past. Corey and Iona have moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and so we've, we've selected a new treasurer, Brian Horton, and Brian uh, will be taking over that, those duties. I don't expect you'll have to talk to Brian, but if you wonder what's going on kind of behind the scenes, that's one of the things that's very important. Also, uh, we haven't really mentioned this before, but uh, let's all remember, you know, Danny Springer is at Fort Eustis, is that right? Fort Eustis, he's in the Army, he's completed his basic training, and he's now going on to some advanced training, so please always remember to pray for Danny. Uh, I'm sure he would appreciate that, and I'm sure his parents would love to know that we're praying for him. Um, also, many of you know about um, the, the issues with the Broccolo's baby. Um, if you don't know, let me just kind of give you a synopsis. Uh, their baby, Autumn, has some very serious congenital health issues, which will probably be, barring a miracle, those which she will deal with throughout her life. And they are under, as you can imagine, quite a bit of stress. So they're in the bulletin, but please remember especially to pray for the Broccolo family. And our family of the week is the Wharton family. So let's, uh, let's listen to God's word. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, for, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Please prepare your hearts for worship. sing the doxology. Please stand. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Join me now in singing. By the way, before we sing this hymn, this is a great hymn. This is probably one of the greatest hymns in all the hymn book, which means we should sing it with enthusiasm. So let's sing together. One forty eight B.
we come now at this time in our service to a very deliberate activity wherein we are reminded of God's holy law and we are commanded and given the opportunity in the spirit to profess and confess our sins and the ways in which we fail to fulfill that law in word and in deed. So please join me together as we read aloud from Roman numeral 16 in the hymnal, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We have our prayer of confession as found in the bulletin. Please pray with me. Almighty God and Father, we confess and acknowledge that we were conceived and born in sin. We are therefore inclined to all evil and slow to all good. We transgress your holy commandments without ceasing and evermore corrupt ourselves, but we are sorry for the same and beseech your grace and help. Have mercy upon us, most gracious and merciful God, and through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, increase in us your Holy Spirit that we may recognize our sin and unrighteousness from the bottom of our hearts, attain true repentance, and die to them holy. Amen. The Holy Spirit tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace, that we might find grace to help in our time of need. And in that spirit, let's remember the words from Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt 
that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our next hymn, if you'll stand together with me, is 119B. And while you're standing, I did forget one prayer request. Adelinda Canote is at home uh, with a reaction to a a food that she ate. I don't think it's life-threatening, but she's pretty miserable. So please remember her in your prayers. Good morning, friends. It's good to see you all this morning to worship with you. If you would, please uh, join with me by turning in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we will consider Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 17 and 18. I would uh, like to begin the reading in verse 12, however. grateful to Elder uh, Greg Eddings and Elder Scott Deasing for uh, being willing to help participate in worship. It's one of the sacrifices these men make to give me time to worship with my family on certain occasions, and so I'm very thankful for them uh, for that, and you should be as well. So Philippians uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, beloved, before we hear uh, God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, how shall the young direct their way but by guarding it according to your word? And so we pray, Father, that you would help your people this morning guard our way by listening and obeying the word of the gospel. We pray, Father, that 
as the power of the voice of our Savior goes out, we ask, O Lord, that you would be at work in your people. We pray, Father, that you would grant us your grace, that we would feed upon Christ in the gospel and so be changed by it, that we might magnify him, whether by life or by death. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Beloved, this is the word of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. When we mentioned this last week, we'll mention it again today, Paul closes off a major section of this letter with these uh, verses. This section began back in chapter 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And now here, Paul had been telling the Philippians to do all things without grumbling or disputing, arguing. And he said that as the church holds fast to the word of life, as we are surrounded by much darkness, moral darkness in the world, Christians shine like stars in the night sky. And so Paul had compared the church to stars, to shining lights in the sky, which you are. That is what you are as Christians. You are the light of the world. This is part of your identity in this dark age. And this is so because you have in your possession, as believers... The gospel, the light of the gospel. And so by the light of that gospel, you are the light of the world. This precious treasure that illuminates your mind and your heart and gives, and from there gives light to the world through your worship and your obedient love in Christ. And really it's Christ's light that shines through us in this world. This is part of who we are. And so in Christ, powered by his gospel, we are shining stars in this very dark age. Let us not forget that. But Paul switches metaphors here in these verses. The comparison now that he uses to describe the character and the nature of Christians is drawn from the Old Testament, particularly taken from the images of Old Testament animal sacrifices. And the priestly, service, the priestly service that accompanied those sacrifices. This is where these images are taken from in these verses. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And as he compares himself and the Philippians, as Paul does this, comparing himself and the Philippians with sacrificial images drawn from the Old Testament, the Old Testament animal sacrifices, he says in the midst of this, I am glad and rejoice. I am glad and rejoice. 
Now, this is one of many places in this shorter, in this short letter where joy or gladness or rejoicing are mentioned. If you count them all, you will come up with a number just shy of 20. So many times in this short letter, joy, gladness, rejoicing are referenced. For example, I'll give you a couple of them. Chapter 1, verse 25. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Chapter 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And again, here Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now we've looked at this before and today probably will not be the last time either. The joy and gladness that Paul speaks of here multiple times, it's not some superficial happiness. It's not a pretend happiness that denies pain. That is not what Paul is talking about here. The Apostle Paul, nor any other writer in the Holy Scriptures, teach that Christians should always act as if nothing bothers them. And that we should always slap a smile on our face regardless of the kind of pain we may be going through, the kind of suffering we may be experiencing. The Bible does not teach that suffering is the mark of a lack of faith. And that's partly where that idea comes from. You can never be unhappy as a Christian because you, are, you should never suffer as a Christian. If you do suffer, then it's obviously a mark that Something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with your faith. Something is wrong in your life. How could you be going through something so difficult? Uh, When you're a Christian, God means to bless you at all times, to prosper you at all times. That is not what the Bible teaches, however. In fact, Paul already said to this church, do not be frightened by your opposition in chapter 1. And so there was some form of opposition that the Philippians were dealing with and that was causing this church to suffer on some level. And Paul said, and there Paul said, your suffering at their hands is a clear sign of your salvation. And so rather than suffering being a sign of disobedience, although that can happen if you sin and invite darkness into your life, you might be inviting suffering as a result of disobedience, but that is not what we're talking about here. In general, Christians suffer because they suffer in Christ, and that suffering that we go through, even contending with oppression against the gospel, is a sign to us that we belong to the Lord. It's actually the reverse. The suffering that we endure as Christians is a clear sign to us that we belong to Christ who suffered. Paul will also say later that he wanted to share in the sufferings of Christ. And so, it's a scriptural truth that those who belong to Christ will suffer in Christ. That is something that cannot be avoided. And so, rather than pretend that it doesn't bother us, the suffering, or try and act as if we don't feel pain, it is actually a mark of living faith in the midst of our suffering, to cast our burdens upon the Lord. And so, for example, you hear things like this said from the psalm writers, My heart is in anguish within me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. 
That's hardly words of a person trying to pretend everything's okay. But what does God do in what does God do with us through our suffering? It's given that we will suffer as Christians. What, but what does God do with us through this suffering? Well, through suffering, friends, among other things, He leads us to tap into the joy of the life of God and in the new covenant, the joy of the life that is found in Christ's resurrection. That is what God does with us through suffering. He leads us to tap into the eternal joy that we have in Christ. Which is why Paul says later he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ and know the power of Christ's resurrection. Suffering then, friends, it leads us higher. Or it should. It should lead us higher. It should lead us off earthly things, thinking only about earthly things, to thinking about heavenly things, the things that endure, taking our mind off the temporary and start thinking about the things that last, the joy that lasts. That is what God does through our suffering. We are led to think about the joy that awaits us in the age to come. When we don't suffer, when we're comfortable, sometimes that's difficult. Because it can feel as though it's heaven on earth. We have everything we need. What more could there be? It's when God begins to take those things away. It's when he begins to lead you through suffering and to show you the transitory character of this world that he teaches you that there is something better. There's always something better as a Christian, no matter how good it is in this life. And so it's a joy that is created in us that is experienced by us then, or will be experienced by us then, but it's also a joy that's created in us now by the Holy Spirit. We read, for example, in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Love, joy. Joy is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we possess now. The gladness and rejoicing that Paul speaks of here is that joy, that joy that we have in the Spirit. It is gladness and rejoicing in the spirit that recognizes that this world and its pleasures, its comforts, is not all that there is. It's that joy that Paul is speaking of here, that he speaks of multiple times in this letter. Now, do you not think that Paul was thinking about this while in chains for the gospel with a possible death sentence hanging over his head? Do you not think he was thinking about the next life? He was. And so, as he did that, we have repeated references to joy, to gladness, to rejoicing. And what did the the Spirit do in Paul during this time? Well, he did just that. He helped Paul to see things like this. To die is gain. Being with Christ after death is far better. That is what God does with us. That's what he did with the Apostle in his suffering in his brush with death, and that is what he does with us in our suffering in this age, that we would embrace these truths, really think about them and and bring them home into our hearts. Now notice too here that the gladness that Paul speaks of here is not individualistic. He does not say, I am glad, I rejoice, I'm alone with Christ. 
Me and Jesus are, are great. It's wonderful. Now, certainly this was true, and this, this is just true for each one of us. We have joy with Christ individually, yes, personally, with a personal relationship with him individually. That is, of course, what the Bible teaches and is a reality of our lives. But eternal joy is not shared and experienced only by one person in Jesus, and that alone. It is a communal joy. I am glad and rejoice with you all. It is a joy that is experienced among every believer, all believers, all of us, together in community. And so it's a joy that stretches across physical boundaries. Paul was in prison, still experiencing the joy that he shared with the Philippians in another place, far from him. And so that joy extends across physical boundaries. There are Christians on the other side of the world who tap into the same joy that we have in the Spirit. It's the same joy, one Spirit, one faith. And so this joy, of course, does extend across geographical borders. With this said, however, this joy and the gladness that Paul had, this joy that he shared with the Philippian church, while separated from them even in in prison, it is a joy, friends, that is not ultimately satisfied with separation. It's there, yes, still present in separation, but it's a joy that's not satisfied with that separation. The joy we share together can only be properly fostered and strengthened and experienced when we are together. That is something that Scripture teaches us. And that is something that we will enjoy in the age to come. We won't be separated to each our own, to go each our own way. We will be together, enjoying Christ together as one body. And so this joy is something that finds its completion in being together, physically together. Paul had said earlier in this letter, he said, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And then after this, he tells them, I'm sending Timothy soon, and I have sent Epaphroditus to you. And then verse 24 of, of that chapter, he says, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He yearned to be with them. He wants his helpers to be physically with them, and he also wants to be physically with them. It wasn't enough. He shares a joy with them while in chains, while separated, but he wants to see that joy complete by being together with them in person. And so as much as possible, friends, we are to feed our joy in the Spirit by being together as far as possible. And particularly, this happens here in worship on the Lord's Day. And of course, we, we would hope to foster that joy outside of worship on the Lord's Day. But it's a joy that, that it's not fully satisfied apart from this. It's not fully satisfied being separated from other brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to recognize that and do our best to be with one another. Joy and gladness in the Spirit for the Christian is, in fact, so tied to our faith in the Gospel that we as Christians can be commanded to be joyful. That is how intricate, how intimate joy is with faith in Christ, how tied to faith in Christ joy is that we can be commanded from Holy Scripture to be joyful. This is what Paul does here. 
Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so, joy in the Spirit, gladness in the Spirit as a Christian is part of who we are. It's part of our identity, part of our character. And so as you hear these words from Paul, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. If you hear these words and you find yourself having trouble being glad in this way and rejoicing in this way, that is, if you find yourself having trouble rejoicing in the things of God, being glad in his word, being glad to be here in worship with God's people, hearing his gospel in fellowship with other believers, if if those things are mundane to you, if they don't satisfy you, if you think there's something higher, something better to make you glad, to make you joyful, maybe you're focused on the wrong things. Maybe you're focused on the wrong things in your life. You're searching for joy, searching for gladness, a gladness that will last. Haven't found it. Where are you looking? Paul shows us where to look. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. There is a temporary happiness to be experienced by the things of this world, and Christians experience these things. Enjoy them. Make use of them. It's good to do that. But the joy that Paul speaks of here is eternal. I am glad and I rejoice. You also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now finally, we are reminded of the eternal and permanent character of this joy with the image of sacrifice that Paul gives us, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. Meaning, the gladness I have now with you, even apart from you, the gladness I want to share with you by being in your presence, by being near to you physically, is a gladness that I still will have beyond my death, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering. And so that joy, that gladness is something that extends across geographical boundaries and extends across the boundary between life and death. And that is what we should be after as Christians. Now Paul mentions a drink offering here. He refers to himself as a, as a drink offering. Essentially, a drink offering in the Old Testament was usually wine and it was poured out upon or along with the animal sacrifices at the altar. And so an animal would be slain and offered to the Lord on the altar, and then at certain times the wine would be poured out on that sacrifice. Now this type of ritual was seen in pagan sacrifices as well. And the Romans, uh, the Roman colony like the Philippians would have been familiar probably with some of those practices. So Paul compares his life and ministry here as a pouring out, a pouring out, like that drink offering that's poured out on the altar. His life, in other words, is poured out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church. But he also describes the Philippians' faith and service as a sacrifice as well. He's not the only one. He's not the only one involved in the sacrifice on the altar. He's being poured out as a drink offering, but there's another sacrifice as well. He refers to the Philippians' faith as a sacrificial offering and as priestly service 
the priests in the Old Testament would minister those sacrifices. They would be the ones who would carry those animals to the altar. They would be the ones who would pour out the wine. And so Paul says here, I'm a drink offering poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. The Philippians then were like priests ministering animal sacrifices at the altar. He later calls their financial gift to him a sacrifice. This is in chapter 4, which we'll look at sometime in the future. And so if we put this all together, Paul, their apostle, the apostle to the Philippians, their pastor, views the partnership of Philippians in the gospel, all the work that they did, that was included in that, as being a partner in the gospel. Paul viewed their work, all that was included there, being united, not grumbling, giving generously, praying, loving one another, all, all of that they did, all that they were called to do in this whole section. And that's what this whole section is. It's an exhortation to do things, to work out your salvation, to be unified, to not grumble, to not argue. That's what we've been looking at for several weeks now. All of that is part of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel, part of their contribution to the work of the gospel. And Paul sees all of it as priestly service upon the sacrificial offering of your faith as priests in Jesus Christ. Now Paul can do this because in the New Covenant, we are all made to be part of a priesthood in Christ. Each one of you. Every single one of us. And right at the center of our priestly activity is what? It's the death of Christ. The final offering that puts an end to all the animal sacrifices that came before it. That is what we minister to one another, essentially. That death, that sacrifice, the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. As priests in Christ, we work out our salvation by obeying the gospel, by living out the gospel, the sacrificial offering of your faith. You are a priest in Christ. You are part of a royal priesthood in Christ. And everything that you do is defined and shaded by that definition as priests in him. You minister the death of Christ to one another when you do all the things that we've been called to do in this section. I hope we can appreciate the significance of that, and the, the value of that. That's not something that Old Testament saints, all the Old Testament saints shared. It's something that you share, though, in Christ. The sacrificial offering of your faith. But what about Paul? Well, was he not an apostle of Christ? Was Paul not an ordained minister of the gospel? Well, he was. But where does Paul... As an apostle, as a pastor, great leaders of the church, great theologian of the church, where does he fit himself in with this, this sacrificial imagery that he's using for, for the members of this body? What does he do? Well, he lowers himself. His work complements their work in this imagery that he puts before us. I am to be poured out as a drink offering, if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. The imagery, friends, of a, of a complementing and a completing drink offering. That's what the drink offerings were. 
They complemented the animal sacrifice. They completed the animal sacrifice. They, they brought it to a, a natural conclusion. The, the wine wasn't always offered there, but when it was, it, it was a complement and a, a completing work. That imagery of that drink offering applied to Paul emphasizes that Paul, as, a, as an apostle and a minister of the gospel, he viewed himself as a servant of the church. I'm a drink offering. I compliment what you do. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon your service, your priestly service, I'm glad. You see what he does there? He doesn't lord his authority, his leadership over them. He lowers himself, which is exactly what he called the Philippians to do, to consider others as more significant than yourself. I am but a drink offering upon your service. Chapter 1, Paul says this about him and Timothy. He, in, the very, in the introduction, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. If Paul dies, if he is poured out, so that the Philippians might be built up, built up in their work, in their priestly work, Paul was glad. He rejoices. But in that work, friends, they were all dying together. And this is what we all are called to do. We're all all called, in some sense, to be poured out, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. All of this is what made Paul glad. I am rejoiced, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And this is what Christ did, friends. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Christ died to build us up. He's the ultimate drink offering. He's the ultimate wine offering that completes us, that builds us up. And so we too in Christ, in our priestly service of offering ourselves to the Lord for one another, we should be glad and rejoice with one another. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray together, friends. Our great God in heaven, you are full of joy. You delight in your own glory as Father, Son, and Spirit. Delight in one another from all eternity, now and forevermore. And you have shared that joy with your people through your Son, Jesus Christ, by uniting us to Him. And so we pray, Father, that in the power of your Spirit, we would offer ourselves to one another, in love, and so tap into that eternal joy that is ours by faith in Christ and by the power of your Spirit. Father, help us to be glad and to, re and to rejoice in the Lord, even as we suffer physical pain, even as we suffer emotional pain and brokenness in this life. Father, lead us there by your Spirit and by your Word. Father, we pray for the nations of the world and for our nation. We thank you, Father, for your common grace given to all people that restrains evil in the world and supports civilization so that the gospel might go forth unhindered. We think of those places that are stricken with much war within and without. We lift up to you the nation of Israel. We lift up to you Haiti. We pray for Ukraine. We pray for other places that are 
torn apart from the inside and from the out by all kinds of violence and wickedness. We pray, Father, that you would sustain the faith of your people in these lands especially. But we do pray that you would provide peace and order, not for the sake of humanity itself, but for the sake of the work of the gospel, that your church might be built up, and that the elect might be gathered. Father, we pray that you would do this good work to the praise of your glory. Father, we pray for our civil servants who you've placed over us. We pray as the church labors under sometimes wicked authority and wicked laws, we pray, Father, that we would remain faithful to our calling to make disciples of all nations. We pray that you would sustain uh, peace, stability in this world, in our country, for the sake of the church. And, uh, Father, we pray that you would bless those Christians who serve in uh, civil capacities. Father, grant them persevering faith. Father, we lift up to you our missionaries whom you've sent out into the world. We pray this morning for Pastor Ben and uh, Westerfeld in Quebec. And we pray for his wife and his children, asking that you would multiply the fruit that is created from his service. We pray, Father, that uh, you would fill him and his family with joy and gladness in the Holy Spirit, and that this joy would be shared by the church whom they serve. Father, we pray for the work of uh, church planting in our region as we lift up to you Reverend Sumter and Good Shepherd OPC, New Braunfels OPC. We thank you for these churches. We thank you for other sister denominations and fellow churches that confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we pray, Father, that your mercy would be upon us all. Help us to extend the kingdom of Christ in this region. Father, we lift up to you the needs of our church. We thank you for every member and every family that is uh, part of this local body here and for our visitors. We pray, Father, that you would provide for all of our needs out of the abundance of your goodness. For You have promised to give us all that we need for both body and soul and that each one of our hairs are numbered. We pray, Father, that... You would do this good work to your glory. Father, we lift up to you, especially those with cancer, as we pray for Arlene Rogers, Jim Witt, William Scott, and John Burleson. Father, we lift up to you, lift up to you uh, in prayer our, the elderly among us as we pray for Eileen, Dorothy, Kay, Joyce, Jean Davies, Hal, Alan Story, Corey's mother, Hikari, Rosalie. We pray, Father, that you would bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them. Father, we lift up to you those with physical ailments, those uh, beloved Christians in the Lord who suffer physically. Father, grant them your grace as we pray for Claire and Diane, Linda and Iona. We lift up to you Autumn Broccolo and their fam- her family. We thank you for the safe arrival of Autumn into this world and for the strength that you've given her. Continue to cause her to grow and, and uh, physically and spiritually. Father, uh, surround this family with your love. We lift up to the Akorifor family as they search for a home. We pray for those who grieve the loss of loved ones, praying for the Doobies and the Milams. Father, we lift up to you our expectant mothers, Emerald and Amanda. We pray that you would keep the babies in their womb safe and protect their mothers and be with their families. And we thank you for uh, covenant children, for the way in which you extend your kingdom uh, through babies. We pray, Father, that you would bless these families to the praise of your glory. Father, bless the Engelbrechts as they settle in Dallas. We continue to lift them up to you and uh, provide for all of their needs and fill them with joy and gladness in the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the Wharton family. We pray for Brian and Tingwe and Bethany and Lydia. We thank you for their love for one another and their love for the gospel and for this church and for the sacrificial offering that uh, they give to us here. We pray that you would 
give them gladness and joy as a result of their labors. We think especially of uh, Brian as he engages in uh, the new work as church treasurer. We thank you for the gifts that you've given to him. We pray, Father, that you would bless him in this work and may it be a blessing to us as well. We thank you for this. Father, bless the Whartons and all that they do and all that they contribute to this church here. We pray that you would mightily bless them and establish their steps in righteousness and peace. And Father, fill our hearts with a compassion and a sincere love for them that we would care for all of their needs. Father, we thank you for the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of of the Lord. We pray, Father, that you would add to our number day by day those that are being saved. We pray for those who still walk in darkness, the elect who are out there that are still slaves to sin and slaves to the devil. We pray, Father, that you would use the good news of Jesus Christ to break open their hearts and draw them in uh, to the church. And Father, use us to these ends. Help us to gather in the elect and to build up the saints that are here. Father, we thank you that you hear and answer our prayers. We lift all of these prayers up to you through our Savior and King, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, we now have the wonderful opportunity to respond to the gospel of grace with our gracious giving. May the Lord Jesus Christ be pleased uh, to use our sacrifices for his wise ends. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to page 851 towards the back, if you need to do so there, there you will find the Apostles' Creed, which we will confess together as a profession of our faith in the gospel. And let us all stand together as we do so, friends. Christian, in whom do you believe? 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you would now turn uh, to hymn 447, Christ of all my hopes the ground, hymn 447. Friends of God, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.